Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's a great joy to be with you all, and it is a privilege uh, to study the Word of God with you. Please open your Bibles to the book of First Timothy. First Timothy, chapter one. First Timothy, chapter one. Uh, we'll be looking at verse fifteen, but I'll read from verse twelve to seventeen. First Timothy, chapter one, verse twelve, and it reads. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I have acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that it be as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, Invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, those who follow, who follow news will agree with me that most of the time when you are watching television, listening to radio, or reading news on your smartphone, you will rarely find good news. The news that normally the, the news that we normally hear are bad news, and sometimes they are even depressing news. If you are not hearing about corruption, then you are hearing about crime, violence, recession, non-employment, and many other sad things. A few years ago, Saudi Mutwane argued that SABC should broadcast at least 70% of the positive news, and the negative should only be limited to 30%. However, looking at what is happening in the world, it is difficult to ignore the negative news because of the impact that they have in our lives. The news we hear daily causes people to ask questions like, is there any hope that things will ever be okay in this world? Is there any real good news in this world? This morning, I want to assure you that though you will rarely find good news in the media, there is good news, and that is what we are going to see this morning. In Testament 1.15, Paul will show us how in Christ alone we find glorious and eternal good news. In this text, I want us to see three important truths regarding the gospel. One, the gospel is trustworthy. Two, the gospel is about Jesus Christ. And three, the gospel is for sinners like you and me. Let us look at our first point. The gospel is trustworthy. Testimony 1, 15. The saying is trustworthy, which say that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. First, I want us to know that in the first few verses of this letter, Paul gave a warning against the false teachers. 
When Paul was on his way to Macedonia, he persuaded Timothy to stay at Ephesus. The reason for that is Paul wanted Timothy to confront false teachers. The false teachers were not abiding to some doctrine. Therefore, Paul wanted Timothy to confront them. Timothy 1 verse 3, it says, So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, not to devote themselves to myth and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Now, these false teachers were teaching myths. They were forbidding people to marry. They were legalistic in that they were not allowing certain food. As a result of this false teaching in the church, there were divisions, there, were, there was selfishness, quarrel, love of money, and even lack of self-control. Now, before giving instruction to Timothy on what exactly he had to do in Ephesus, from, from verse 12, Paul told Timothy his own story. He told him how thankful he was to God for his own salvation and for the privilege of being the minister of the gospel. He looked at his former life. He looked at how rebellious he was. And he saw that he was God's adversary. He saw that he was opposing God. After looking at his former life in verse 14, he looked at the changes that happened in his life. He saw the love of God. He saw the grace of God. He saw that he did not deserve the mercy that he received. It is at this moment that Paul, Paul puts a pause in his own story and affirmed the gospel truth. From verse 12, Paul had been telling his own story. About eight times he used the pronoun I and me. This had been his own testimony. He said, I thank him. I was a blasphemer. I received mercy. But as he looked deeper to the grace of God, for a moment he stopped telling his own story and he wanted to affirm God's story. So he said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It is like Paul was saying, Timothy, although my story is true, but look, here is a dependable truth. Here is the objective truth. Here is the sure truth. Here is the undeniable truth. Here is the absolute truth. Here is the truth that everyone must believe. Not that Paul is saved, but that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Brothers and sisters, this is a trustworthy saying. It is good to share our stories with people. It is good to encourage other people using our own experience. But as we talk to them, we want to point them to this trustworthy message, the gospel of salvation. In Romans 1, 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God's power, which is the gospel, is the only message that can overcome sinful hearts and give men a new life. Now, as Paul was writing to Timothy, he used the experience to show that indeed the gospel is trustworthy. However, his experience was not the only reason Paul saw the gospel as trustworthy. In Galatians 1:11, Paul said, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Here Paul clearly stated that his message did not originate from man. Unlike the myth, unlike the endless geologies, unlike the legalistic teaching that Paul was warning Timothy against, the gospel is trustworthy because of its origin. The gospel did not come from man. Now, Paul argued that he was taught by no one but Christ himself. It is important, however, to note that Paul was not saying it is wrong to be taught the gospel. We see in the scripture that he himself taught uh, Timothy the gospel, and even in this epistle, we see that he is still teaching and guiding Timothy what is it that he was supposed to do. In Galatians, Paul was simply defending his ministry to reassure the Galatians that the gospel he preached to them was authentic since he got it from Christ himself. Now, in, in ancient times, when they were talking about witnesses, most of the time they were really talking about eyewitnesses. So Paul knew that the gospel was reliable because he was an eyewitness who saw the resurrected Christ and received the gospel message directly from Christ. The gospel is not like myth. The gospel is not like any man-made doctrine. It is not like a fiction that originated from the mind of man. The gospel was first preached to the eyewitnesses. Now, John talking about Jesus in John 1, he said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father. And it was made manifest to us. The apostles saw Christ, and they walked with Christ, and they spoke with Christ. Therefore, when they proclaimed the gospel, and when they wrote the scriptures, they were talking about something they knew. Their message, therefore, is reliable, and that is the message that we preach right now. However, important than eyewitnesses and experience, the Holy Spirit is the one who affirms that the gospel and the entire scripture are reliable and trustworthy. In 1 Peter 2, verse 21, it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now God said it, and that settles it. The gospel is trustworthy. And because of that, it is deserving of full acceptance, as Paul says. This means we do not have different messages for different people. The gospel is the message that should be preached to the rich and the poor. The gospel is the message that should be preached to those in high position and those who are nothing in the eyes of the world. The gospel is the message that should be preached to the educated and to the uneducated. The gospel is the message that should be received by you and me. Now since the gospel is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, we have no reason to embrace any other message. But the question is, what is this gospel about? That leads us to our second point. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. First Timothy 1, 15. Let us look at the second part of our text. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The first thing I want us to note is that Paul did not say Christ Jesus was born to save sinners. I believe that is the normal way of speaking. 
Even when people are talking about those who have had a great impact in certain area, they use phrases like he or she was born for this. I believe you've heard people saying things like leaders are born and not made. So no matter how great a leader is, people do not see that as something that goes beyond the inherited traits. They all agree that at most it begins at birth. However, that is not the way Paul puts it here. Paul rightly used the word came rather than born because he was mindful of the pre-existence of Jesus. In using this word, Paul was implicitly showing that Jesus Christ is not a mere man who through birth inherited a good job of saving humans. This Jesus is the eternal God who chose to be born in time as a man. This Jesus is someone who belonged to the glorious place but came to a lowly place. This Jesus is the creator who chose to be like the people he created. This Jesus is the invisible God who chose to be seen in the world. This Jesus is the omnipresent one who chose to take a human body that limits his appearance to one specific time. Paul acknowledged that this Jesus is the pre-existing king who came to this world, not a helpless man who was trying to make a name for himself. In Zulu we say, Inkosi, Inkosi, Nabandu. That means a king depends on people for his kingship. If people were to reject a king, then he would have no subject and therefore he would cease to be a king. For that reason, even a dictator needs some kind of a support and he makes sacrifices so that he will remain in authority. Now, that is not a case with Jesus Christ. He is the king of creation to whom the angels and all the heavenly hosts bow in worship. John 1, 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews 1, 10 says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Adam and Eve were created. All humans after them were born, but Jesus incarnated. He was not a mere human. Paul acknowledges the deity and the pre-existence of Christ. This is why he said he came to this world, not he was born in this world. If any hope, if, or if there was any hope of saving the world, Jesus himself had to step down. The problem sin brought into this world is so great that nothing and no one in this world will bring a solution by God himself. If the whole humanity were to meet and have a brainstorming meeting trying to solve the problem of sin, their best solutions will be an abomination to God. Humans do not need new ideas to eradicate evil. They need God's solution. They need Christ. Some people believe that education will eradicate evil, yet they are studying, they are studying cyber security to deal with educated thieves. Some people believe that creating more job opportunities will eradicate evil. Yet they sit in their offices thinking about how they can manipulate figures for the benefit of their companies. Some people think they can eradicate evil by calling young people to join sports. Yet they create fake IDs and passports and are involved in age cheating because they want their teams to win. Can you see a problem here? Can you expect a criminal to decide what is the right way of dealing with crime? Can you expect a convicted prisoner to decide what is a just sentence? 
You see, what is the problem? You cannot expect humans with sinful nature to deal with sin. Hence the need of the gospel. Hence the need of Jesus Christ. Now, you have noticed that when dealing with serious issues, leaders of the world or leaders of top companies, they do not need to get involved. They can simply make a decision and send their delegates to deal with the problem while they go on holiday. That is not the case with sin. That is not the case with sin. God could not send anyone to deal with sin. In the Old Testament, we see a lot of offerings and sacrifices, but even those were shadows and could not deal with sin. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Hebrews 10, 4. I want you to see how serious sin is. No creature in the world could mediate for man and deal with the problem of sin. Not even angels could help man. God had to come in human flesh to deal with this great problem of sin. Hebrews 2, 16 says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, men sinned against God. So men needed to make things right with God. But men failed to make things right with God. So God the Son became man, and He's the one who made things right by reconciling God and man. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Testimony 5, 6. Now, Jesus Christ did not have to come to the world. Jesus Christ would still have been perfectly glorious if he didn't come to the world. There was no obligation for Jesus to come to the world. His kingship was not going to be affected if Jesus Christ did not come to the world. However, Jesus Christ willingly came to the world. Jesus Christ lovingly came to the world. Now, for the next few minutes, I want us to look at his life and the hardship while he was in this world. First, when Jesus came into this world, there was no great entrance. The only person who had a right to choose his place of birth chose probably the worst place ever. It was clear from his birth that he came to serve, not to be served. He was born under the poor circumstances, from a poor family, in a poor place. As if there was not enough. Before the age of two, Jesus had to flee. Or rather, Joseph had to flee with Jesus to Egypt as he was hiding him from Herod the Great who wanted to kill him. This was just the beginning. Jesus would face suffering and enmity all his life. John 1.10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus was rejected by the Jews in general. He was not the type of king they were looking for. They were looking for a king that would satisfy their selfish desires. But Jesus was not that king. 
They wanted to rule and have dominion over other nations. But that was not what Jesus came to give them. This is the life of Jesus. Jesus was rejected by the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted a strict and legalistic king who would be just like them. Jesus was too welcoming. Jesus was too friendly for their liking. He was followed by the religious outcasts. He was followed by all kinds of sinners. He was followed by the nobodies. In addition to that, he broke the tradition of their fathers and wouldn't subscribe to their oral law, which was extra law they added to God's law. While doing that, he confronted their hypocrisy as they were only concerned with their outward appearance while neglecting their unconverted hearts. This is the life of Jesus. Jesus was rejected by the Sadducees. They had political connections. The Sadducees were wealthy. To them, riches of, the, of this world were everything. And for that reason, they didn't even believe in the resurrection. On the contrary, Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God, which is not of this world. He was teaching about storing up treasures in heaven rather than in this world. He was teaching that those who are rich should share their wealth with the poor. And that was not what the Sadducees wanted. Do you see why Jesus was rejected? And this the reasons people are still rejecting the gospel today. Like Jews, people want a king who will satisfy their desires. Like Pharisees, people want a king who will allow them to be self-righteous. Like Sadducees, people want a king who will give them a soft life. A king who will not confront their greediness. This is the reason many people, even today, are running towards the false prophets. Because the false prophets are promising them those things. But this is not what Jesus came to give. Now the groups that were spoken about were not really close to Jesus. Let us look at how he suffered from those who were close to him. John 7, 2-5 says, Now the Jews' feast of booth was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, Show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. During Jesus' time, there were a lot of uh, Jews who were living outside Israel. Now, Jews had three important feasts that all Jews were expected to attend. During those feasts, all the Asbora Jews would come back to celebrate their feast with other Jews. The Feast of Booth or the Feast of Tabernacle was one of those feasts. So in John 7, Jesus' half-brothers were telling him to go to the feast since a lot of Jews would be there. Now, this is what they were saying in paraphrase. They were saying, if you want recognition for what you do, go to the feast and promote yourself. John tells us that they said that because they did not believe in him. How painful it was for Jesus to preach the gospel of the kingdom to everyone while his own brothers did not believe him at first. His own brothers saw him as someone who just wanted fame. This is the life of Jesus. At first, the gospel tells us that most of the time Jesus was followed by the multitudes. He healed many people. He had compassion on many people. He fed many people. However, many were offended at his teaching. 
John tells us that at some point, many of his disciples turned back and they still following him, but the twelve remained. After that, you would think the twelve were the heroes who would stand with Jesus no matter what. In fact, the twelve, the apostles believed that they said they would stick with Jesus no matter what. Matthew 26 verse 31 says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. As you see, his disciples were so confident that they would stand with him till the end. Nevertheless, not long after that, Jesus was left alone. Judas Iscariot betrayed him. Peter denied him. And all others fled when he was arrested. The words of Isaiah perfectly describe the life of Jesus on earth. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteem him not. This was Jesus' life on earth. I want you to see, however, that though Jesus was arrested and facing execution, no one found him guilty. Not even Pontius Pilate, whose judgment mattered the most. Judas Iscariot said, I have sinned by betraying the innocent blood. Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with that judgment. A criminal on the cross said, but this man had done nothing wrong. A centurion said, certainly this man was innocent. And Pontius Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man. Even his accusers could not come up with evidence that Jesus had done anything wrong. But they still wanted him dead. For that reason, they crucified him. As you think about Jesus on the cross, I can imagine how powerless and helpless some of you think Jesus was at that moment. Well, that is not the case. At his arrest in Matthew 23, 56, Jesus said, Do you think I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Talking about His life in John 10, 18, He said, No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. Now, as they were seizing him, stripping him, mocking him, smiting him, spitting on him, and crucifying him, Jesus was not powerless. He was willingly, lovingly, and graciously submitting to this painful torture because he knew why he came to this world. Above all that those men did to Jesus, he had to endure the wrath of the Father whose holiness and justice demand that he never overlook sin. Why did Jesus suffer like this? Because he came to the world to save sinners. That takes us to our last point. The gospel is for sinners like you and me. Let's look at our text. 
First Timothy 1.15 The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. As Paul was sharing his story with Timothy, he mentioned something amazing. We've seen it, but now I want just to see it in another view. Something that should melt our hearts as we think of it. Something that should eh, cause us to burst out in praise as we meditate on it. In fact, that is exactly what happened to Paul in verse 17 as he was considering the truth. Now, look at this. In this text, Paul did not say, Christ Jesus save sinners. Did not say, Christ Jesus save sinners. Now, that statement is true. And it should be believed that Jesus Christ saved sinners. But, it's like Paul took it a step further. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This means salvation is not a by the way. By the way, let me save sinners since I'm already in the world. No, salvation of sinners is what Jesus came for. It is not an afterthought. It is not a secondary issue. If you are saved, it is not a coincidence. It is not because you mistakenly came to church and luckily you heard the gospel. It is not because you were lost somewhere and when you asked for a direction, you bumped into a preacher who began to share the gospel with you. All those are means that God used, but you are saved because Jesus came for you. Oh, so that means he saw the best in me when everyone else saw the worst in me. No, there is no best in you. He saw the worst in you, but still saved you because he is merciful and he came for sinners. Salvation is less about us and more about him. Even before Jesus was born, the message was clear. Look at what the angel told Joseph. Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son, and you shall, pay. you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, this was the purpose of his coming. The gospel is not one of the things that the church should teach. It is the only teaching of the church. Everything else flows from the gospel. If we miss the gospel or if we neglect the gospel, every service, every conference, every teaching and every song are just a stage play. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Brothers and sisters, you are not burdening Jesus when you come to him for salvation. He came to save sinners. He came for you. The expert will tell you that the problems in this world are caused by things like climate change, poverty, gender inequality, economic inequality, and global health. I want you to know that the actual problem in this world is that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This is the ultimate problem and Jesus came to deal with this problem. However, I want you to note that Paul did not end his statement with a superficial analysis. Paul went deeper and acknowledged that he himself was a sinner. It is a good thing to understand that Jesus came to save sinners. And it is easy to look at the people around you and say, Friends, we are all sinners. By the way, no one is perfect. 
That is not what Paul did here. And that is not what we should do. Paul acknowledged that he is a sinner. He didn't put himself among the group. He acknowledged that he alone is a sinner. You must realize that you as an individual have sinned against God. You have offended God with your conduct. You, being led by your evil heart, have rebelled against the only wise God. You have attempted to dethrone God thinking you know better than Him. And yes, I am talking to you. Just like me and you. While you are sitting here, I want you to know that you deserve nothing other than the full wrath of God. If you have it already, I want you to realize that you are a sinner and that is not a small thing. It is easy to take the laws of the country lightly because the people who make them are not perfect and they also fail to keep them. We are surrounded by lawbreakers and therefore most of the time we have no respect for the law. Now, the dangerous thing is that when we come to God, we come with the same attitude because of our earthly experience. Friends, God is not like these wicked leaders. The scripture tells us that God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Why? Because sin is a serious offense. It is the offense against the very nature of God. We normally view sin as simply disobeying the commandments of God. And we detach those commandments from God as if they are just rules that God thought of and then decided to give them to us. But think of this. God made man in his image and after his own likeness. So man was created to resemble God. Therefore, sin is undermining God as a creator because when we sin, what is it going to do? We conduct ourselves in the exact opposite way that we are made to. When we sin, we don't just break the commandment of God, but we also challenge the very nature of God. Sin is an attempt to dethrone God and replace Him with our temporal desires and preferences. Sin is anarchy. Sin is man implicitly declaring that I met war with you, God. And God will not let anyone get away with it. Do you see how serious sin is? Woe to you who have declared war on God by sinning against Him. Now, I'm here to tell you that what you call mistakes are actually great sins against God and God will not hold you guiltless. I'm here to tell you that if you are not perfect, you deserve nothing less than the eternal punishment for rebelling against the eternal and holy God. I'm here to tell you that the wages of sin is death. I'm here to tell you that it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. I'm here to tell you that if God could mark iniquities, no man can say. But that is not all. I'm also here to call you to surrender. Maybe you say, let me fix myself before I can approach God. I'm here to say, no, you can't fix yourself. Actually, you are beyond repairs. You need a new life. Let the one who came to save sinners give you a new life. I'm here to say the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm here to say He has appeared once for all and at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. I'm here to say He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. If you acknowledge that you are a sinner who has rebelled against God, 
if you feel like uh, you are undeserving of God's kindness, well, you have arrived at your destination. Now repent, behold Christ, the Savior of the world. Repent, behold Christ, the Redeemer of mankind. Repent and behold the Lamb who has ransomed or who came to ransom people to God from every tribe and language and nations. Christ came, came to save us from our great crime against God. He came to save sinners and not to improve good people. Unless we see ourselves as real sinners, we cannot see Christ as a real Savior. We don't need modification, we need salvation. Paul understood that and he didn't downplay his sin. Even before his salvation, Paul was a religious person. He was one of the best in his age group, both in conduct and in doctrine. But in our text, he considers himself a worse sinner. Why? Because Paul understood that any hope of being close to God outside Christ is an insult to God. Any teaching that does not point to Christ is pointless. Jesus Christ came to save us from God's wrath so that we will have eternal life. Jesus Christ saves us from the kingdom of darkness so that we may be children of light. Jesus Christ saves us from sin so that we will not perish. Jesus Christ saves us from this, or from this perverse and passing world so that we may store our treasures in heaven. Jesus Christ saves us from ourselves so that we may live for him. They say he is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Glorious Father, we know that we do not deserve any of your kindness. We know, oh Lord, how we have sinned against you. We know how we have rebelled against your authority. But Lord, as we look at the work of the cross this morning, we find joy, we find comfort, we find life, oh Lord, in Christ alone. Therefore, Lord, help us that we may put our hope in him always. Help us, O oh Lord, that we may live, O oh Lord, to glorify you. Help us, O oh God, that we may look, not look to anyone or to anything other than Christ himself. Help us to understand that Christ is the only true way, is the only life, and is the only truth. Help us, therefore, O oh Lord, that we may seek Christ. Lord, we pray that you may open our hearts, O oh Lord. Open our eyes that we may see Christ Open our ears, O oh Lord, that we may hear Christ. And that, Lord, in all, we may glorify you because of the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. We thank you that in Christ we have been justified. In Christ we are being sanctified. And in Christ our bodies will be glorified. O oh Lord, we indeed acknowledge that this is a faithful saying. Christ came to save us. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Thank mm -hmm. you.